I invite you to stand as we come for the reading of God's Word uh, this morning. Our sermon text comes to us from the second uh, book of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth as we turn uh, to chapter 8 and look at verses 16 through 24. Again, let us come, let us hear the Word of our God, and let us be blessed through its reading. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 16. Hear the Word of the living and the true God. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. We have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show you ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with him our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent, because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Amen. Let us be seated and let us come before the Lord our God in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we gather together to hear your word this morning, God, we pray again this self-same prayer for the Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and open our minds to receive your truth, and that again we might show forth the proof of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul has closed out this chapter with a challenge. He has come to the church at Corinth and said, Here is your chance. Everyone has heard of your inability to do what you say you're going to do. Everyone knows your reputation. That you speak loud words, to paraphrase through Roosevelt, you carry a small stick. You say uh, that you are going to provide this lavish gift for Jerusalem. But when it was time for you to give that gift, you said you gave at the office. And the Apostle Paul, as he began this chapter, gave three examples in order to build up the Corinthian church, to prepare them for the coming of Titus and for the receiving of the gift. You know, we saw the example of the Macedonian Christians. We were told how the church of Macedonia, which was materially poor, the church of Macedonia, which had very little in which to give, gave not only what they had, but they gave with liberality, it says there. 
Again, what does that mean? It means that not only do they give what they could, but they sacrificed of what they owed to themselves in order to provide for the needs of the church at Jerusalem. We also had uh, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We saw as Paul lifted up Jesus and he says again, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that through His poverty might become rich. And we have kind of two different sides of the coin. We have the Lord Jesus who is God above. Who is the One who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who is the second person of the Holy Trinity. Who did not have to come to die for our sins. There was no requirement that He do so. But He freely gave of Himself so that His people might be made new creatures in Him. This man who was rich yet became poor. These men and women in Macedonia who were poor, but had shown themselves to be rich in spirit through their giving to the people in Jerusalem. And lastly, Paul brings up Titus here as another example to spur on the Christians in Corinth. You know, as uh, we uh, might uh, be reminded, you know, these letters that were sent by Paul you know, were not sent kind of piecemeal. You know, they were not kind of serially given. It's not as if you know, there was a newsletter that came uh, to Corinth every month and every month was a chapter. And of course, that's how books often used to be printed. Charles Dickens especially, his works were sent out each month and people would meet up at the newsstand in London and practically beat each other up in order to get the next chapter of the next Dickens book. Of course, that's not how the Bible, the letters of Paul were sent. Again, these chapter and verse divisions we have are a creation of the last about 500 years. These chapter and verse divisions are kind of imposed on the text. Now they're helpful in many ways. You know, it's, it's helpful to know where certain things are and to use the identification of chapter and verse to do that. But of course they weren't always there. Again, this was a solid body uh, that Paul sent to Corinth. Now imagine you are a Corinthian. Paul's already sent you one letter and probably another uh, shaming you for your sin. Showing you how you have failed to live up to the requirements of a child of God. And you're reading through this letter, more likely somebody is reading it to you. And you're hearing this, and you get to this portion of the letter, and you hear once more Paul say, Hey, you all have fallen short. Again, again, you haven't done what you said you're going to do. And they have these first two examples, and then you get to where we have verse 16, and you hear that somebody is coming to check on you. In fact, he's already on his way. Imagine the panic that must have come into the hearts of the Corinthian people. Again, it's, it's not as if they had received a telegram and had a couple of months to prepare themselves for this. To build themselves up 
uh, in anticipation of the coming of Titus. Now what we're told here is that Titus is already on his way. Matter of fact, he may even have carried this letter himself to the people at Corinth. Now imagine that for a moment. You're, you're reading this and all of a sudden Titus is sitting there and you hear his name read. And you can imagine everybody in the, uh, the, in this, in the sanctuary there in the synagogue turning and looking at Titus. And they all have that look on their face of, oh no, uh, he's already here. And what, what are they hearing from Titus? That Titus uh, has accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went of his own accord. And what has he come to do? He's come to collect. He's come to collect uh, this uh, offering uh, for the church. And the people are being given an opportunity, as Paul says at the end here, to show the proof of their love. Now when we think about this in the context of of the Bethany church, and we think about what uh, the Lord Jesus here is presenting to us through the words of His servant Apostle Paul, we've heard a couple of sermons about uh, the need of our service not only to the wider community, but of our service to one another. What we are called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. And here this morning, we are being told by the Apostle Paul that the time to serve is now. The time to serve is not in a couple of months when we get ready for it. You know, the time to serve is not you know, when certain things get taken care of. And that's one of the purposes of that example of the Macedonian church. Yet when the call went out to the church of Macedonia, that the people at Jerusalem were in fact almost dying from famine, do you think they had a storehouse of money through which to send to the Jerusalem church? No, in fact, we're told that as soon as they received that gift, they reached into their pockets money that they did not have to share. And gave it to these people who were in need. And they didn't need, again, a a campaign to do this. They were ready to serve. Willing to serve. And even though they weren't able to serve, they served anyway. And again, the reason why they served is not because they were super saints. The reason why they served is not because they were special In fact, we're told the opposite here in this passage. We're told the reason why they served is because they loved the Lord Jesus. They served because they knew that that was the call that God had placed upon their hearts as those who had been given this new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we see here in in what Paul is laying forward in the midst of this, is again this reminder uh, that is true for each and every one of us. And we we think particularly of the example that Jesus gives uh, when He is out uh, calling disciples unto Himself. And we hear Jesus come to the man and say, Come and follow Me. And what does He say? Well, one of the men says, Well, my father's dead. I have to go bury him. And what did Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. Of course, we read that and we're like, boy, that's kind of rude, right? 
you know, that, that, that Jesus doesn't want him to bury his father. But of course, that's not what really is going on there. What's going on there is a, uh, is a show of the temptation that is natural to all of our hearts. To always have an excuse ready as to why we can't do things. As to why uh, what the Lord has placed in our heart to do is not kind of the number one thing on the docket. And of course that's not something new in the New Testament. And you think of Israel and you, you, you see all the times that Israel failed to do what the Lord had called them to do. You know, how often was Israel's response no different than this man who wanted to bury his dead father? There was always something else more important than what God had called Israel to do in service of Him. Again, that gets to the real crux of the matter. Because we serve one another not because we are doing it primarily for one another. But the source, the foundation of Christian service is what we are doing for the Lord God. Again, that's the focus of what it is we do when we go out and clothe the naked and feed the hungry and present the gospel uh, to dead sinners. Again, we're not doing it for ourselves. We're not doing it to kind of build ourselves up. uh, Not only in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. You know, so uh, far often our service uh, to God and service to others has kind of in the back of our minds, whether it's intentional or not, that uh, what we're doing is earning favor with the Lord. That, well, if I do this, then God will be happy with me. And of course, that gets that relationship backwards. Again, we don't do things in order that God will be happy with us. We do things because God first loved us. Us. And that's what you know, the Apostle John tells us in his first epistle. Again, why do we love God? Because God first loved us. Again, when we think about the nature of our own redemption, our own salvation, and that's why it's vital for us to always have the order correct, not to get the cart before the horse. Again, we are saved not because God looked forward into the future and said, you know what, that person's going to make a great Christian. I better send my son to die for him. That's not how that works. Again, when God uh, uh, decreed to save dead sinners, what did He see? He saw dead sinners. In fact, He saw those who had committed the same sin as Adam. Again, He looked, uh, and He didn't even look forward into the future. Again, it's not like God is kind of operating in this kind of time-sensitive universe. But God in His decree... Again, when He decreed the fall, again, had already decreed the means by which they would be saved. And we see this in stark detail in Romans chapter 9. But we see there the nature of Paul dealing with the attacks upon this idea. And what does he say there? Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Again, he's not talking there about you know, kind of two wild groups. But again, it's a statement about the nature of God's love for us. And we have been saved because God, in His almighty wisdom, in His almighty providence, in His almighty beauty, has has set us forward from the foundation of the world to be His people. And so that's why, again, when we serve others, again, we have to get that order right. 
Again, we are serving one another because God has served us. Again, it's a response to the love of God. And it's a response which shows forth that love that God has showed to us unto others. Now another thing we see Paul doing here is he is calling upon the Corinthian church to respond to the work of the gospel, respond to the challenges that have been laid before them. He again speaks of the nature of Titus. You can pay attention to what he says here. For you not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And think about what Paul's saying there about Titus. It's not as if Paul had to you know, draw straws. You know, they had like a little committee meeting. And Paul said, well, somebody's got to go to Corinth and give him the bad news. And everybody's sitting around kind of putting their nose on a finger. Right? You know, they're, they're, don't pick me. What, what, what is... What is what, what does Titus do? It says here that Titus went of his own accord. He didn't have to be asked to do this. Again, that, that, that speaks volumes to the nature of the service that we give to one another. Again, it's not something that we should be hassled into doing. It should be a natural outgrowth of our love for one another. And Titus here, again, Titus is not going to Corinth out of his own accord because he wants to give them bad news. Of course, we, we sometimes can, can, can glory in that. You know, be the one who kind of enjoys bringing bad news. Especially when it comes to laying the, the hammer down on somebody. But again, that's not the nature of the heart of Titus. That's not what interests Titus in going to Corinth. Again, he's interested in encouraging the Corinthian church. To serve the Lord our God. Again, that has been the heart and the call of Paul in this whole chapter. And that's why he said what he did in verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Again, when he says there, I speak not by commandment, he's not saying, well, this is just my pious advice. What he's saying there is, is that I'm not setting forth these things uh, as a duty. And we talked about that last week. Again, our service is not something that we have to do. It's something that we desire to do. Because we have been made new creatures in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that, 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 that often keeps us back from doing these things again is that you know, we, we feel obligations to do things. And people who just feel like an obligation to do things, again, it's not the attitude through which we see the examples that are laid for us in the Gospels. And in the letters of Paul. Again, when Paul desired to go to Galatia, what did the Holy Spirit do? Again, he, he, he stopped him from going. And Paul then went to the Macedonian Christians because he had a vision, he had a dream of the Macedonian man who came and asked him to come. And Paul gladly went to Macedonia and proclaimed the good news. Again, we see the nature, again, of this attitude that is to be within each one of us that was first in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing Paul is laying forth here in this section from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as he also says something here in verse 22, he says, And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. And it's interesting what Paul says here. Notice there again, he says, you know, we have confidence in you. 
We know that you're going to respond to these things. We know that you are going to give of the same liberality that the Macedonian church did. Again, it's not just Paul kind of being you know, positive. Right? This isn't kind of a Dale Carnegie uh, line. You know, Paul kind of, if he says nice things, maybe they'll do the right thing. Again, that's not what Paul's doing here. Again, that's how obviously the world works quite often. You know, if we, if we pump them up full of sunshine, then they'll, they'll do the right thing. Again, Paul here is not acting in that way. What he's saying is, is he knows their faith. He knows who they truly are. And he knows that this backsliding that they have been engaged in is not the nature of their reality. Again, Paul spent a lot of time in Corinth. He knew these people deeply. He knew that they would not only do the right thing, but only uh, that, that in the midst of all these things, that all they needed, again, was this reminder. They needed to be moved uh, to answer the call upon which He had given unto them. And the sending of Titus, again, was kind of the capstone of this encouragement. Again, sometimes and very often in our Christian lives, we need... Brothers and sisters that come alongside of us. Again, not to shame us. Not to uh, kind of uh, wag their finger in our face. Not to uh, uh, kind of cajole us. But to come beside us and comfort us with the words of Christ. To come beside us and encourage us with the call of the Gospel. We especially think of those who who have morally fallen in the church. And what do they need? Do they need our chastisements? In a sense, they do. They need to be called to repentance. They need to be called to remember who they are in Christ. But especially they need as brothers and sisters coming alongside of them, walking with them in repentance. Because again, think of what the, how the Pharisees operated in the midst of these things. You know, that, that scene in John chapter 9 is a perfect illustration of this. You know, this, this blind man you know, had been born blind. He, he is healed by Jesus. And he goes to the synagogue to tell them of these things. And what do the people of the synagogue do? Well, of course, they, they, they just get on his case. And, in, and one of the saddest things we have in the Gospels, what do his parents do in the midst of these things? They kind of say, well, you know, we, we don't know what this guy's been getting into. We, we don't know what he's doing. Uh, we, we don't know how he got better. Well, he did, but you know, we don't want to lose our place in the synagogue. So we're just going to kind of you know, ignore him. And what happens after that, after he's kicked out of the synagogue? He's kind of wandering around. But what do we see happen at the end of John chapter 9? We see Jesus go unto him. And so we see Jesus receive him and speak unto him. Again, this example that we see there in John chapter 9 is being illustrated for us once again here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, Paul has sent Titus, and Titus has gone of his own free will, and he's gone there again to serve the church at Corinth. Again, not for Titus' benefit. Titus isn't going to get some big bonus at the end of this week. He's not going in order that the people at Corinth might be saying, man, this Titus guy's awesome. He's traveled all this way just for us. Now, Titus' interest is in the service of Christ. Titus' interest is in the service of the Lord God who had called him out of darkness and given him a new life in Jesus Christ. And this is an important attribute 
that we are especially to see in those who are called to the offices of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they be ministers or elders or deacons. Again, it's worthwhile to think of Paul's own letter to Titus and some of the commands that he gave. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. And again, that's the key phrase there. What is a minister of the gospel? What is an elder? What is a deacon? They are a steward of God. And what is a steward? Again, is a steward the master of the house? Is a steward uh, the man who owns the land? Is a steward the king of the castle? No, a steward is a servant of the master. A steward is one who has been given responsibility by the master of the house to take care of things. And again, we see Paul and his love for the church at Corinth taking care of things in this wayward, backsliding congregation. And again, he's doing this through giving them these positive examples of those who have obeyed the command of the Lord to serve their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. And he's sending now Titus, this man who is a minister of the gospel, who is coming unto them, again, to give comfort unto them, to encourage them to not only do the right thing, not only to do it for the right reason, but do it for the Lord our God. And he knows they're going to do it because, again, he knows their faith. He knows who they truly are. He knows that they believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that they have been saved from their sin. Again, that's why Paul closes here in verse 23 by saying, If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. If our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. It's interesting what Paul says there at the end. Does Paul know how this is going to work out? Does Paul, Paul know infallibly how, how Corinth is going to react to the sending of Titus? Well, of course he doesn't know it infallibly, but it's a testimony again to his faith in the people there. But he knows that they believe. He knows that they trust. He knows that all they need is this encouragement to go out and to do these things. And that's why, again, he has sent Titus to this work. That's why he has written this letter to them. Because again, the great danger in life is not anger, it's apathy. People who are angry care. People who are angry are invested. People who are angry believe that things can get better. But people who are apathetic, who don't care, who who, who don't really worry about these things, well, they're not really the kind of people that need to be worried about. Because they're not invested in anything, they don't really care about these things. But these people whom Paul has taken the time to write this letter to, they are ready to serve. What they need again is this encouragement. They need brothers and sisters to come alongside them and speak these words of grace, reminding them 
that we do these things not for our own glory, not so that our names can be built up in the church or in the community, but so that we might show forth the love that we have for Jesus Christ. That we might show forth the proof of our love. Again, as we think of that second great commandment. And what does the second great commandment say? And what does the first one say? Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. And the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we often focus on that first clause of loving neighbor. What does it mean to love yourself? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What loving yourself means is reminding yourself who you are in Christ. Reminding yourself that you are a sinner. That you fall short of God's glory. That you have been given this new life not because of who you are, not because of who your parents are, not because of who your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents are, but because you have been called by the Lord our God. You are a special creation. Your identity is in the Lord of glory. And so brothers and sisters, as we go out from this place today and as we show forth the proof of our love for the Lord Jesus, and let us do so in the ways that Paul has laid forward in this chapter. Let us do so in remembrance that we serve one another because Christ has served us. And He has given us this glorious salvation. He has truly washed us by the blood of the Lamb. He has truly given to us, again, this new identity so that we no longer belong unto ourselves. But we belong body and soul unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That our future is not in this place, but in the glorious heavens to come where our Lord Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us that we might dwell with Him forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give